This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. A very good evening to you all. It has been a while since I've been on your radio. I terribly miss you. I'm glad that uh, we are finally able to reconnect on this glorious Tuesday uh, evening. I must declare that my absence had nothing to do with any shenanigans of sort. Um, as a matter of fact, my disappearance had to do with more of a, a holidays, which I believe you had fun. Talking of holidays, I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed Roshna, uh, Saku, and Yom Ku. I hope I'm pronouncing it well. Uh, once again, welcome to the show. My name is Nimrod Fimbele. It is a great pleasure to be here. Uh, on the glorious note, um, thank you, Kathy and the team, um, Lizette on the news, Lindy and Traffic, Vusi, uh, DJ Flow. Last but not least, I've got... Uh, uh, the captain of the ship here, Tabo Shavalala, who is the producer of the show. And I want to take this opportunity to greet him. Tibos, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Doc. How are you? It has been a while, my brother. I'm fantastic. Yeah, since uh, since our last encounter, uh, so much has happened in the country, as you have noted. Frankly speaking, we hardly we can hardly keep up. Uh, there's countless breaking news. Literally every day, the petrol prices just, you know, uh, skyrocketing, uh, job summits, uh, and and a debacle, and boom, we have uh, in a new minister of finance uh, in the name of uh, minister in the name of uh, Tito Mboweni. Um, so there's just so much happening in the country. But I just want to quickly reflect back uh, on some of the pertinent issues that happened over the over the past week. Um, you know, i.e., the job summit, uh, which um, has been uh, which which has been signed by government and other s- stakeholders. Uh, government and and social partners they uh, sort of agreed that they, you know, for us to turn around, you know, uh, at least in the short term, uh, investment of about a hundred billion rands will be have to be injected. By the financial sector to to promote businesses and um, you know and let's hope that will that will also work and according to the president um, the job summit is expected to, to create at least two hundred and seventy five thousand jobs per year and and you know the questions for me is uh, what are the you know uh, how do we make sure that these kinds of promises really come to fruition. Uh, but my guess is as good as yours. We've had these kinds of kind of issues before. Uh, parallel to that, um, tonight uh, we're having a conversation around the state capture um, and how it is unfolded. Uh, and uh, we have picked up a number of gory, you know, stories of how powerful families have lined up their pockets by institutionalizing corruption. And tonight's show is dedicated on a state on a state capture inquiry. And I'm joined in by Jonathan Foster Padley. Um, and who is Jonathan? Um, Jonathan is a dean and director at uh, um, Henley Business School. He's uh, traveled worldwide, practically lived in, in, in about six continents. So he's a you know expert in curriculum design. Uh, he's a former airline pilot and a senior executive in the European aerospace industry. I tell you what, I you know I've looked at the CV; it's quite intimidating. I'll probably spend the whole show uh, talking about you know a very impressive resume. On that note, let me take this opportunity to welcome Jonathan. Good evening, sir, and welcome. Good evening. Thank you very much, Dr. Nimrod. I'm the one who's scared of you. You've got the great CV. No, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no, trust me, trust me. I mean, always when it comes to you. Um, Jonathan, I, I've created, you know, I've created a, 
a scenario um, around some of the you know uh, issues that have unraveled over the past week or so. Mm. Um, the one that you know we would really have to talk about um, is the the the, the sacking uh, or voluntary you know resignation of Nkatalene, who now mm. been replaced by the former minister of of uh, finance in the name of Tito Bowen, who had a Rather very impressive, um, you know, pedigree at the time when he mm. was still a minister. Y- your take um, on on that kind of issue? <clears throat> well, it's great that you see somebody um, going reasonably quickly and reasonably, you know, with an ethical um, sort of frame around it. You know, you can make these things very difficult from the inside. You can fight and call up friends and allies, but Nene has uh, stared down the. Rifle barrel, I suppose, you know, that's been pointed at him and said, okay, um, I think he's a, he's a very good person on many, many levels. Um, but clearly he's made some mistakes of judgment and he's confessed to those and they're not things that you can really, uh, tenably hold a position of this, of this nature, um, from having hidden. And I think that's the thing he's, he's done. It's clear he's done these things. Uh, I think his resignation or firing or whatever it was is inevitable. Um, and I think he's gone in a way that uh, is, is commendable, really, um, under those circumstances. And I think we've got a great new finance minister coming in. So this is what you expect in times like this. You know, when, when you start looking into things, suddenly everything looks like it's being set on fire. But you lift up the rocks and everything's running around, but it's the first... First stage of clearing up. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's such an inter- we live in such an interesting time when everything is just so unpredictable. Uh, at one level, you've got you think you've got your ducks in your ducks in a row, and suddenly, uh, you know, everything is is is, is taking you know a, a pear shape. But one thing that I acknowledge and appreciate on Ntlandanele's uh, you know departure, even though yeah. you know it was quite unceremonious, uh, he he sort of admitted that he mm. wronged. And the, the position of power that any minister, not only in finance, it is that of trust. And he, he, mm-hmm. he sort of come to realize that he betrayed the trust. And therefore, you cannot hold that kind of possession or office if, um, you know, uh, you, you're not worthy. But how many ministers um, have not really, you know, uh, uh, um, satisfied as a test? If you like of of trust, uh, can we personally look forward to the new administration of really pushing um, you know the the, the the trust issue um, you know slightly more higher than than we've seen in the past? Because mm. as you said earlier, it's quite commendable that he resigned on his own mm. accord and he admitted. Mm. But but we all know that half of the cabinet, um, there are a lot of skeletons that are lingering. Uh, and if that was to be a, a, a process, most of them would have resigned. Well, I think the, the first thing to remember, I mean, if I look into my own heart, and I don't know what other people would say listening, so am I trustworthy? And we'd all love to say yes. Um, have we never broken trust? And most of us would say, well, we have. Have we ever made serious mistakes? And we probably have too. Biggest, we're not, when you elect politicians, you're definitely not trying to elect saints. You're trying to elect public servants who are going to do a good job for all of us who put uh, all of our pockets before theirs and all of our lives before theirs. And that's a, a critical issue. Um, but they're not saints, and everyone will have made a mistake. What Nene has done, and I think it's impressive, he's admitted a mistake. And that's enormously difficult. That'll be on social media for his children and his grandchildren to see. It'll be for everyone around him to see. But let's applaud it, because the first thing to do is to admit mistakes. 
And secondly is when people confess mistakes and are willing to do something about it and are willing to take the consequences, then there's a possibility of them in due course returning back into roles, having done some really deep reflection and thought about what they've done. Because these are people, you know, Nenny's a man with great talents. He's got capabilities. And on, on many levels, it's a pity, pity to lose him. He's been faced with enormous temptation and enormous pressure, and no doubt, and um, we don't know what's gone on there entirely, but we're living in a, in a circumstance now where we're surrounded by uh, a storm of, of, of state capture and uh, misappropriation of funds and malfeasance. And it's something that we cannot expect people who are in the middle of that to be perfect on. However, we can expect them to do their best, to be honest, to to confess thank you that was some water being brought for me by our wonderful Tavo thank you very much uh, he's running around the studio thank you very much indeed and and we can expect people to be be doing their best and to be ethical and at least at fundamental level to be practicing public service and good citizenship that's what we can expect We're, errors will happen he's done the right thing by resigning there's no question um, and he's done an even better thing by by confessing we can't afford to junk people in the country who've got capabilities. So there has to be a process of, of, you know, redemption. But we cannot also afford to have people in the country who, who mess up the economy, destroy the futures for our children and grandchildren, and who blame other groups or racial groups or whoever they want to blame for that. When fundamentally for years we've had a, a kleptocracy, I'm afraid to say, that has been uh, sucking the energy out of our our, our country and destroying opportunity for young, talented entrepreneurs and ultimately damaging the poor. And that's a big thing about corruption and state capture. It's not about a few people just lining their pockets. This has been a huge systemic attempt to undermine not only the organs of state, but all of our futures. And it's affecting the poor more than anybody else by factors of magnitude. And, and we have to stop it. And we have to collectively work to create a better South Africa. Uh, if, if we're going to hold everyone up to a standard of sainthood, we'll never get there. Um, but on the other hand, people have to be fully and absolutely accountable. We all have to take that on board, take the pain and learning from that, uh, but not give up, come back into the fray in ways that we can make a productive future. So that's a long answer to a simple question. I apologize. But, but what I think, I think I, I concur with you. What I like in your, in, in your explanation is the unpacking of systemic needs of corruption and maladministration, mm-hmm. as it were, and that it will require a, a number of stakeholders to own up so that we're able to correct some of these, some of this misfortune. But, um, it's common cause that it's not every single politician that will just throw in a towel because, um, his conscience, um, 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 dictate that he resign. Uh, ordinarily, we have seen it in, in, in a number of instances that we do need, um, you know, for, for us to move into a clean administration, we need a strong political will. We do. Um, but the question is, you know, um, in the current administration, is there sufficient political will to root out? Because it's one thing to talk about systemic corruption that happens throughout, and yet um, we still run body-body system. Mm. So how do we get that kind of a political will? Uh, because the public trust has worn out completely. Uh, we have had a number of, uh, um, you know, commissions of inquiry which have not resu- which have not yielded any results. Uh, 
So for us to restore public confidence, it's all about political will. In your view, in your assessment, do you think there's sufficient political will to turn around the situation? Um, that's really interesting. I, th- I think there is in- enormous political will and authentic political will existing. At the same time, there's enormous political will or whatever will you like to call it that's working against it with entrenched interest. Um, I think to, I mean, disappointment and loss, loss of truck comes from, comes from betrayed expectations. So we have this expectation of our politicians, which is, um, and when they, when those expectations are broken, we, we, we trash all politicians. We, we say it's a rubbish occupation. Of course it's not. It's a very important occupation when it really matters. Um, what you've got are people in politics for a multitude of reasons. When I listen to Pravin Gordon and hear him talking about we need to stand up and we need to stand up for citizenship as individual citizens and take that position, I'm really impressed and inspired. Um, when I hear Ramaphosa, the president, taking those same, saying the same sort of things, I'm also inspired by that. Have either of those people got skeletons in their pockets? Maybe. Are they authentically committed to building a better South Africa for your children, my children, their grandchildren? I believe they are. Um, what I don't believe is some other people who are not authentically committed to building that future for the general people. Um, they're, yeah, I think you've got people who are uh, self, self-advances in politics, who are there for the power, the status, the access to funds and everything that that gives them. I think um, it's, it's a wonderful magnet for people who are... Uh, who, who are able to be sociopaths and, and portray to people they have their interests at heart but don't. I also think that within the world of politics, you've got some extraordinary politicians with, for whom we should be really proud and support. So it's up to us. You know, politics comes from the Greek word meaning people, you know, and, and so if you're in politics, you, you're serving people ideally. And, of course, we can snort with cynicism when we say that. But I have to ask, you know, if, if we get cynical about everything, we're not going to create anything good again. You know, cynics, cynics never built anything. You know, you've got to be optimistic in a certain way, and you've got to be optimistic in a way that Viktor Frankl talked about in his wonderful book, In Search of Meaning. And he's a survivor. And his idea of optimism was tragic optimism. He said the survivors there were the people who weren't the wild optimists, because they got desperately disappointed and gave up hope, nor the pessimists who never had the energy, really, or the cynics, really, to get themselves going. But the tragic optimists, the ones who felt that life was worth living in spite of all its drama, all, all the corruption, all the human frailties, all the suffering and pain and death and all the suffering that we've all faced in our lives, that nonetheless life is worth living. And so I think we're at a critical, almost existential, spiritual point in South Africa's existence. We're at a point where we're all staring, irrespective of class, race, color, anything. We're all looking at one thing. How do we make a country that works? How do we stop people being poor? Because we cannot build South Africa on poor people. And you look at townships full of people who who don't have the opportunity to get educated. You look at people who struggle out of that and get skills as entrepreneurs or specialists, and you see their opportunities snatched from them by corrupt deals uh, given to you know, incapable children of, of leaders, whatever it is. What you're seeing is people stealing money and opportunity from the future. But, 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 but again, can yeah. I just interrupt? Mm. I, I, I hear you, and you're making a very good point. Um, but, but I beg to differ with you around, um, you know, the preaching that has been set. 
Uh, yes, uh, you know, um, being cynical does not build anything. Um, on the contrary, we're destroying. But um, the you know cynicism that we're seeing it is in context. Uh, for, for an example, we have had close about four or five commission of inquiry, mm. um, which have not resulted in anything. Um, and in fact, we have seen almost like you know um, justice system that is protecting those that have means, mm. um, and that fundamental question the authenticity of those that are leading surely um you know you and i you know cannot ignore that in that um authentic leadership um it's it's not really getting traction it's almost like a minority uh, uh you know because if authentic leadership was in a majority would have overhauled the system to a point where Township folks that you make in reference to would not have their dreams, you know, uh, shattered uh, mm-hmm. in the way they have been shattered mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis. Yeah. So, so, so the prison that it has been set for us to turn around um, the situation in a in a more fundamental way, we need to appreciate and recognize, you know, the, the prison that has been set uh, and to, to become authentic in moving forward. Uh, yeah, I, I get your Nimrod, and and I get. It. I mean, have we got reason to be cynical? You bet we have. We've got deep reason to be cynical. Do you want to be a cynic in the nature? Is that how you want to be in your life? In no, your no, life? no, no, not really. Not. And it's not going to get anywhere. Mm. So we've got reason to be cynical. But why, why give in to that? Once you become, I mean, cynics in leadership and in education shouldn't be there. You know, you need people who have fundamentally got a sense of optimism, but a deeply realistic one. And I don't mean a Pollyanna-ish, fanciful sort of thing. I mean a grounded, hard, tough sort of optimism that's about getting things done. So you've had a series of disappointments. But we, we're we facing a moment here now where it certainly looks like the, the years that have past where people, the judiciary has been pulled apart, the police have been pulled apart and people have put in key positions you know, the media have been pulled apart, prosecution every state organ you can think of, military and you know, securities have been populated with people who support a certain group of people and you have to ask of whether they're working for the interests of the economy and the people at large and and this is systematic, rational, carefully thought through, not random, not emotional, not stupid. It's been highly intelligent, thought through process of suborning and capturing all the state organs and taking over uh, that part of a country and having an, an inclusion with, with private enterprise and private business. You, you're seeing a country being dismantled. Now, does that mean a lot of people in, in, in positions of power who are still part of that? And the answer is, of course. But... Do we have a chance to turn that around now? And I truly believe we do, because we're at the, at the beginning of a movement. I used to be an airline pilot, as you mentioned, and pilots, um, unfortunately, were renowned for, well, people feared it terribly, for crashing their airplanes and killing all the passengers, you know, and sometimes captains would do that, or airlines would push the boundary, or wrong things were put in airplanes, and people would fly when they shouldn't do. And um, the pilots would talk about this between themselves, but never tell the public or the media because, you know, it would look, make it look as if flying was the most dangerous thing. And before anyone gets worried about flying, let me tell you that you're much safer staying in a terminal building <coughs> than you are in, um, yeah, sorry, you're much safer in an aeroplane than you are in a terminal building. There's, there's fewer fatalities per capita in aeroplanes than are in terminal buildings. So run through the terminal building, get on your aeroplane. So when we wanted to make aviation safe, so we, we asked all the pilots, all the engineers, all the 
companies and everybody involved in the whole the whole operational chain of aviation to share their stories of what was going wrong in a disidentified way and we created a they created a document called the confidential human incident reporting procedures chirp and all those stories were taken and disidentified and put in that the media was asked to hold back and this was shared with the whole aviation community it was horrifying a pilots falling asleep in the atlantic you know <laughs> drunken people engines falling off and you know just things you would not want to believe in and for a moment it looked like aviation was just the most dangerous place in the world but all it was doing was uncovering what was already there our problem for years is that what's already there has been hidden from us and our brains have been fogged by trying to blame groups now whether you blame white or black or capitalist or or chinese or communism or whateverism or group what you want to do it's a projection of blame onto a group now goering in the second world war said if you want to control any group of people it's easy he said all you have to do is you have to create a national crisis and you have to blame it on some external group and then you have to say if anyone who doesn't go along with this is a traitor and he said i can get anybody to do anything it doesn't matter who they are it doesn't matter if they're communist capitalist whatever it's the same mechanism of projecting blame onto a small group and that's what we'll have seen whether it's colonists or whatever not to say those people don't have a huge burden of accountability to deal with they really really do but what we've seen is a deliberate fogging of people's insight and so what's happening now is we're starting to dig into what's been going on for years and it looks horrifying it's going to carry on looking horrifying but this isn't a time to get weak this is a time to carry on we need to support the people that we believe that we trust whatever party they are whatever you believe trust have actually not their own interests at heart not a small group's interests at heart but the society at large and it's a wonderful opportunity in south africa now for us, for us all to come together around the same topic it's try and get beyond some of the baggage of the past and deal with each other on a direct one to one level we're all equal let's let's try and work it out how can we help each other build this build a society and that's going to take work it's going to take dedication it's going to take sacrifice it's going to mean letting go of some prosperity giving it to people who need it and and building that country And the thing is we can do that. There's no question. Provided uh, there, there's a caveat. I mean you yeah. you just probably uh you know uh, uh, uh hit it on a nail. It can be done. Yes. Provided there's um you know um consequence management in my view and mm. I'm, I'm sure every listener you know uh yeah, tonight would agree. Don't get me wrong, I agree with you. You know that yeah. um any turnaround must be accompanied with um you know consequence management because mm. we with the certain yes we understand that you know uh, we've been fogged you know we you know uh, our views have been you know distorted to a greater or less extent uh, majority of us have been manipulated into agreeing um uh, uh, you know in, in into agreeing in in the space that is not necessarily desirable for the country to be where where we're supposed to be but again now that we know exactly that we have been you know majority of people or some some of the politicians were fooled um for us to to to, to really arrest this that kind of a trajectory mm-hmm. it is important that uh, justice is not seen to be you know justice is served you know mm-hmm. and and one way of creating again that trust and confidence level um for the general population and and everybody else who cares about um, the country we need to see action being taken and again it's going to go back to the point that I said earlier is there sufficient political will uh because and as I'm, you're not talking now you know we can hardly count 
high-level individuals which were found wanting who are behind bars. So, mm-hmm. so how do we really turn it around when there's not that kind of precedent? We know that so much wrong has happened. Mm, you're right. And, uh, and, uh, but, but we, we can't go to, you know, almost everyone said, look, listen, uh, we, we are, cor- we are correcting and uh, these are some of the actions that you've done. Not much. But, Nimrod, you're absolutely, of course you're right. We, we have to have, do I believe that the people who've stolen billions and destroyed so much and uh, fogged people's brains. And by the way, aren't you scared? Uh, I am scared how easy it is to take intelligent minds and and distort their thinking. You know, I saw it under apartheid. I saw it under with the Russian, with the Berlin Wall. I've seen it a number of number of times how easy it is to manipulate populations to believe things. Um, and of course, there should be consequences. the The consequences should be thorough, complete, transparent and persistent and they are very much part of of creating an environment where it's clear that you cannot allow these things to happen but there's a, there's a bigger picture too and let's take it as a given and more than consequences should we get the money back and yes we should get oh, every yes. last darn cent that went out we should get it back and we should use it for the proper purposes for building roads for building schools for the, I'm an educationalist for, for massive input into education in the right way but there's something else as well. There's, there's, if we believe that holding people accountable and putting them in prison is going to create the future, it's not. It's a part of it, but it's a tiny part of it. So, and, and so I'm, what I'm trying to focus on is not that we shouldn't do the consequence. Of course we should, but we should start to come together to think what's it going to take to build this country? Because that is a, that's the task that if we get right, our grandchildren, your grandchildren, our great grandchildren will be thanking you for. It's it's a legacy issue of such impact that it's worth you know putting a lot of our lives on online. It's it's a sense that I think this is a time for us to become activists in a different way. And it's bizarre that here I am, a middle class white, middle aged Englishman, is talking about activism when I come from a you know a very different you know background in the UK. But I've learned from being in South Africa the importance of seeing causality. You know. Those people in KPMG who made the, who signed off those accounts, I'm sure they had a very, very good rationale in their minds that they need to do this to keep KPMG alive, to get revenue into the company, to meet their quarterly targets, and it's probably okay, it doesn't matter anyway. They were living in a world of either blind ignorance or denial, or possibly an active collusion, you know, but at least they had to be in deep denial of what's going on. Um, but, we're not training people to see beyond three months or six months or a year. We need to train people in education and at our universities to have a deep view of causality. If I do this, if I sign off these accounts, then it's legitimizing state capture. It's legitimizing corrupt individuals. It's allowing corrupt politicians to get away. So business has as much to take to task as these politicians and everybody else. It's no good thinking it's a political problem. This is a systemic cultural business and um, problem most of this stuff couldn't have happened without business collusion or or, you know a nod so we have to train people to see if i do this what's the effect on not just my business but what's the effect on the business ecosystem what's the effect on these people we need to grow up millions of people who if they're educated well and have skills are able to participate in the economy and build better economies 
innovative economies, exciting ones, not just digging things out the ground or counting money, brilliant though these things are, but value-added through diverse industries, creating the future that, that, that African talent just, just, just exudes and finding a way to make that sort of society grow. Um, and we have to see that causality. Once we go along with some form of a corruption or, or, or legitimize it in any way, we're allowing deep, deep, long-term damage to, to futures of people and, and ultimately to our own kids because they've got to grow up. Unless we emigrate, you know, all our actions, our children and grandchildren, um, you know, suffer. And we can say, well, it's okay, I'm prosperous, I'm going to get money, and I'm going to live behind my high walls. But what sort of life is that? You know, we, we need to create a thriving South Africa and accountability and positive activism and courage, um, all the disciplines that I know you you know, believe in. I think we've got a chance to practice those things now, and I think it's a glorious opportunity. Absolutely. We're going to take a break for now, but uh, before we go, before we go on a break, I want us to reflect on the, the National Development Plan, which is obviously mm-hmm. a countrywide national strategy, mm-hmm. which, which everything should fit into um, as a part of departure. How far are we in relation to that? Because that's supposed to be a Bible. Uh, but secondly, all these parallel summits um, obviously draw their inspiration from the, 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 the NDP um, and, 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 and the implementation again uh, it's problematic um, and you referred to, to um, a sense of deep political uh, scrutiny uh, and you've referred to uh, a deeper, deeper appreciation of causality mm. um, and, and of course corruption cannot happen um, if, if state and private sector do not collude half the time exactly right. they've, they've been that uh, so but, but, but for us to really appreciate this, this framework, which is NDP, um, what needs to be done in by both leadership? Because ultimately it's about leadership. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbali. Welcome back. It is now almost 10 to 7 o'clock, and I'm joined in studio by, jo- by Jonathan Foster Pedley. He's the director at uh, Henley Business School. Before we go into the break, the issue at hand is, um, you know, the state capture report or inquiry. Um, you know, what are the, some of the issues that, w- that we're beginning to see? And over and above, you know, the status quo, um, how do you move forward? Uh, part of moving forward, and I'll answer, you know, I put to, to Jonathan here that NDP provide a very useful framework um, that... Um, um, if all parties, government, labor, and business, were to work together, um, um, you know, having the best interests of the company of, of the country at heart, uh, we're more likely to see, you know, the projection of seven percent um, that 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 are enshrined in the in, in NDP coming to fruition. Now we're barely making a percent. I mean, when the, the World Bank, uh, you know. We 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 know for 2018 we're not going to make um, you know even one percent in terms of, of of the growth rate, and and whereas we have a document that is supposed to be implemented, but again um, you, you know you would, before we went to the brings so what sort of strategic assumption are we making around mm. NDP? So we have a lovely constitution, that's one of the most beautiful documents that's being created in governance in in the world. We have a wonderful NDP. So what, why do you believe somehow that the creation of NDP will bring people together to do it? So it's one of my, I'm a strategist by background, it's my academic field. And one of my worries about strategy is to say, right, let's create a great mission, a great vision. We'll create this wonderful plan and we'll create these KPIs and everybody must do it. This is like the government, actually the, the national planning, the strategic model. And I've worked with that a lot and it assumes that people will somehow blindly follow and do as they are told. 
and they will follow this, this, these sets of directions. Um, and it, 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 it ignores so many fundamentals about human natures, about motivation and, and how we're going to do things. So it's a good document, but who sought through the management of that? A great part of strategy is not just producing good plans, but understanding methods that the systemic understanding of how to get people to do things, intelligent people to do things. Because um, if you're giving people fundamental work and tell them what to do and give, give people money, they'll mostly do it. But at high intellectual value, high creative value, it's a voluntary engagement. How do you get people voluntarily to engage with that plan? And that's the missing assumption in most of these planning systems. Create a plan, tell people to do it, and they will just do it because they will see the world as you see it. It's just not so. You really have to understand how to get people to share in that uh, in that vision. If you want to get people to do something, they must share and appreciate what's going to happen with that. How do we paint a picture of South Africa now? There's not a dystopian one that's all falling apart. It's just going to mean we'll immigrate or we'll do whatever we do, and then we're going to say, I give up. This place is gone. Let, pe- let people steal it, and I'll go to another country. How do we not do that and say, look, this is our one chance, our one chance to build something that is... Um, really memorable and will be proud of. But would you therefore agree with me that the fact that the state capture, um, you know, um, is currently unfolding um, is, is is almost like a consequence of us not really appreciating the the fundamentals of planning. In that, um, not all the stake all stake stakeholders in the planning process were fully onboarded to a point where they understood and appreciated the causality issues because the the fractured nature of of the state, um, you know, during the the the, the, the you know the administration as it were um, is as a result of um, the systemic um, you know corruption that has been happening which 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 undermined um, the NDP values um, as, as an instrument that could guide the country into yeah. into, into, into a different light so if you take over control of something and some people understand it very well and other people don't understand it very well but have their very pressing needs to earn money to feed their kids and send them to school and that's what they need and it starts not working because you have deliberately disassembled the mechanisms, the institutions that create governance and stop people stealing money or misspending it or giving that money to inefficient people who can't build what they promised to build if you do that, at some point, people are going to get angry, okay? And when people get angry, if you're a, if you're a, a, an unscrupulous individual uh, who's mainly concerned about building your own interests, or you're a trapped individual who's got stuck in a system because of your things you've done before and you're worried about being blackmailed, you will look for an out. And that out is typically trying to blame some group or another. If you can blame an external group, not us, you can deflect the blame, particularly people who are panicking and tired and, and struggling, they will tend to latch onto that and say, it's their fault. And that's what I mean by misdirection and fogging people's minds. If you're a really ethical and good politician, people won't understand everything you're doing, but you will spend a lot of time trying to deliver to them. In Singapore, for example, it, it was a, it was not a, a democratic state. You could argue it was a corrupt state in very, very deep ways. But when I visit there and talk to people, the government surveys what citizens need 
And in spite of the fact you could argue it has forms of corruption there and a, and a very non-democratic state, it spent a lot of time delivering to those citizens so their life got better. It was a fundamental. So this is a fundamental requirement for public service, and we must stand up for this. And this is one of the things that we need to stand up and be enormously active, activist about. In public service, you're there to serve people, and you're there to serve the people who need it most. And in this case, it's the poor people of South Africa. They're the ones who need the opportunity. And and by and, and the second thing you need to do as, as a politician, I, I think if you're going to be in public service, you've got to hold yourself to standards. And that's why I say that at least the symbolic act of Nene apologizing shows a light of sorts, irrespective of what he may have done, which is not good. The fact that there's been an apology and a public apology shows shows a sort of behavior that, that augurs better for building trust. At least if you confess to something, people will get on board with you, because we all know we're not saints. But but I, I think what's more important in what you've just said, um, it, it, it begins to talk to how do we build confidence um, in a system that has you know been eroded over a period of time. When you look at the um, state on enterprise, NPA, the Hawks, mm. all these um, you know highly um, you know reputable entities whose role is to provide oversight and hold everybody legislators mm. as well as executive to account. Um, you know no longer enjoy the same level of confidence which they did in the past, and. It, 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 it took them a year, it took them a while. We didn't wake up one day, you know, NPA was one thing. We didn't wake up one day, the SOEs were, 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 were engulfed in, in so many fraud mm. activities, which mm. cost, you know, um, you know, taxpayers billions, your SAA, your Transnet, your PRASA, so all this. It didn't just cause the taxpayers problems, it caused the people who are not paying tax even more problems, because they never had a chance to pay tax, because their opportunities to get meaningful work was stolen from them, because they, the business infrastructure and the employment infrastructure has been destroyed by the massive theft. But then how do we, yeah. from, from a strategy point of view, how yeah. do we turn it around? Because right. this is what the country needs now. We, we know what is happening, and we need to spend more time on solution. Um, and and you, as, you know, from, from you know, uh, your perspective as a corporate um, internal specialist, though, you know, mm. uh, what are the fundamental things that we need to be thinking about now uh, that will help the country forward? Well, it's, there's an enormous satisfaction in bringing criminals and people who have damaged us to justice and making them pay. And that is necessary. Let's ask, so were these people ruthless in their deconstruction of opportunity and deconstruction of government and SOEs and, and of taking large amounts of money and, and diverting it to their own and not to the people's purpose? And you have to say yes. Therefore, we need to be just as ruthless in holding people accountable just as ruthless. But what I don't mean by that is we don't need to be punitive in the sense of hateful and vicious. You know, we're not going to build a country on hate. We're going to build a country on compassion. And part of that compassion is the toughest sort of compassion, which is holding people deeply accountable and, and taking away the, the, the proceeds of what they've taken through theft and, and through seeing opportunity from others. So that, of course we need to do that, but that's just the beginning part of it. The second thing we need is to be activists in our souls. And what I mean by activist is if, 
if you, if you go back to the, you will know better than me. You know, I'm, I'm a middle class Englishman. You lived through all this. You know, I was interviewing Mampella Rampella the other day and she was explaining what it felt like with Steve Biko and they were talking about when they, they raised the idea of black consciousness and how the apartheid regime said, oh, that's great. So you, you black guys are going to get together and build this idea that black is fantastic and you're going to gang together. That's perfect. That's just what we want you to do because you can go and live in your homelands and you can feel great. What they didn't realize that this consciousness was a radical activist consciousness about changing nature of the world and that's when they got scared so we now have to be activists and if you're an activist you don't necessarily imagine you're going to win in the end what you imagine is you're going to put your life and your times and everything on the line for a better future and you're going to continue persist in doing that with a certain degree of courage and even though you know you may not win what you do know is you've pushed the boundaries further You've pushed, you've pushed the situation further. You've created a counterforce. And that when you get tired, somebody will come behind you and push that further. Now, the bizarre thing is, I think that's what we've got in South Africa at the moment. We've got an opportunity to be those activists. If you're a white, middle-class, non-activist who is a beneficiary of the apartheid regime, this is your chance to be an activist to build a better South Africa, putting the needs of the real people first, which is the poorer South Africa. I'll tell you why I'm passionate about this, because we have in our, in our business school at Henley, we have 70% black students now on our MBA. It was 30%. We have 50% women from 20%. All of these people do an international degree, top-class MBA, which is assessed internationally, along with the British, the Germans, the Chinese, all top people, uh, Malaysians, we take from the Danes. And these papers and projects and assignments are marked blind-marked by the same people who mark the British and all the rest of them. Now, these people, the South Africans, are passing as well, if not better, in blind assessments. Nobody knows who they are than the Chinese, than the Germans, than the British. So don't tell me we haven't got the capability of, of the African population lifting out of the township. We have got fantastic capability. Just get on board. My children are born and bred in South Africa. I can go to England if I want to. I don't want to. Um, I want them to be able to grow up with your kids, you know, maybe working for your kids. Maybe your kids work for my kids. I don't care. It's not about race or anything. It's about capability. Whoever's better at doing the job, let them work with it. That's what we need to dedicate ourselves for. That's what we need to burn ourselves out on because it's for our kids. And that's what I think is, that's the opportunity that we're sitting with now. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. We have a chance to be the things we never were. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Unfortunately, we're out of time, um, you know, John. It would have been such a wonderful time, you know, for us to express some of this issue in fair, and particularly uh, being solution oriented. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. It has been an absolute pleasure until we meet again. Have a good one.